Your behaviors don't define you. Your past doesn't define you. What other people have called you doesn't define you. Um, Even what you call yourself, that doesn't define you. Only the person who made you has the right to give you your label and the right to determine your significance. Welcome to the Jesus Calling Podcast. Today's guests are two people who were surprised by the circumstances that led them to star in feature films. Now, they work to share God's love in a bigger way than they ever could have imagined, while remembering that their identity is found only in Christ. Author and speaker Priscilla Shire and actor Jeremy Ray Taylor. First up, as the daughter of Tony Evans, for decades, Priscilla Shire has seen the powerful way God's love can be communicated through words. She followed in her father's footsteps when she started her own ministry, talking to women and writing books that spoke to their hearts. Today, Priscilla tells us how God can use our unique traits to bring Him glory, and what she hopes people will learn about God's kingdom from her new movie called Overcomer. My name is Priscilla Shire with Going Beyond Ministries, and I've had the privilege of being in ministry for about 20 years now, specifically women's ministry, and it's been just um, amazing to go on this adventure with the Lord. Um, It certainly wasn't full-time ministry was not even near the plan I had for my life. It's not what I thought I'd be doing, but here we are 20 years later in a ministry where I've had the privilege to most of the time stand on a platform and share God's Word and His truths with His women and with people. And then in writing, the Lord sort of opened up that opportunity via books and Bible studies. And then film is something that the Lord has brought sort of into my life as well. Shock of all shocks. You could have never told me (laughs) that I'd be in a movie, but here we are on the third one. And it's been such a gift to be able to be a part of telling his story on such a broad stage um, and use the medium of film. When I look back on myself, I wish I could tell myself something that I understand now. There would need to be somebody of my demographic with my skin color and my hair and the nuances of my experiences to be able to on screen communicate these stories that I could have not known in a million years. The Lord would allow me to be a part of sort of this resurgence of powerful faith-based films. So he needed me to look exactly like I look to be able to participate in his purposes in this day and age. And so sometimes we are wishing away the very things about our uniqueness that are designed to be used for a purpose we can't even comprehend. We'd never even consider the radical ways that God intends to reflect His glory through our uniqueness. So it means that even our weaknesses in our personality, they aren't liabilities. They are a platform for the strength of God to be displayed. So we've got to look at the whole of our lives and go, Lord, I'm going to celebrate this and I'm going to begin to affirm the differences of other people. I'm not competing. I'm not comparing. And I'm just going to present to you my entire self as a living sacrifice for you to use for your glory. If your identity and and your significance and your value is tied to success, well, that can be up one day, but gone the next or up in one decade of your life and gone the next decade of your life. Or if it's connected to beauty or if it's connected to the applause or appreciation of people, like how many people liked your Instagram post or who didn't, you know, if it's connected to that, we're going to be constantly disappointed and devastated because life changes, people change, circumstances change. The way we feel, it might be the way we feel, but it doesn't define us. 
Yes. Or the things we've done. It They may be the things we've done. Yes. But that doesn't mean that's who you are. I think sometimes we need a devotional to help open up the possibilities of the, the new direction that we're headed in our relationship with God. That sometimes just allowing the way someone describes something or the way that they record their thoughts about a portion of scripture. It's a springboard for you in your prayer life. It's a springboard for you to a new sort of trajectory in your relationship with God. This is a passage of Jesus Calling from March the 9th. Rest in my radiant presence. The world around you seems to spin faster and faster till everything is a blur. Yet there is a cushion of calm at the center of your life where you live in union with me. Return to this soothing center as often as you can, for this is where you will be energized, filled with my love, joy, and peace. The world is a needy place, so don't go there for sustenance. Instead, come to me. Learn to depend on me alone, and your weakness will become saturated with my power. When you find your completedness in me, you can help other people without using them to meet your own needs. Live in the light of my presence, and your light will shine brightly into the lives of others. Each and every one of us have to decide who or what we're going to give permission to identify us, to label us, to name us. And so many of us find our significance in things outside of eternal things. And see, that's the problem, is that they're temporal. So we've got to go back to God's Word and say, okay, what does His Word say about me, both in my immaterial parts and my material parts? Meaning that if He says I'm created in the image of God, that means that in my physicality, all of the nuances of me that make me different and unique, and that probably I can remember remember as a teenager, and I know teenagers and young adults and even grown women, we struggle with this now, that in in the areas where our bodies are different than the quote unquote norm, but we got to go back to the word of God and remember, he actually made me this way on purpose so that I can be a unique reflection of his glory. You know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, Christians were embarrassed to go to faith-based films. We didn't want to take our friends because the technical excellence wasn't there. You know, the storytelling wasn't there. We were just like, oh man, we want to enjoy this. We want to extend our dollars toward it to support it. But it's just the, the excellence wasn't there. But all of a sudden in the past five, six, seven years, you've got filmmakers who are writing stories we can relate to, who have the dollars to be able to present it in a way that is technically excellent. Um, and they're unapologetic about Jesus. And so all of those things come together in a resurgence. I remember last year, the USA Today, after um, I Can Only Imagine came out, and I mean, it was like 90-something million dollars at the box office. And I remember the USA Today wrote a story, and the headline was something like, Hollywood needs to stop being surprised. In other words, this is a norm now that people want Jesus. They don't want a watered down version of him. They want um, not a watered down faith-based motivational film, but they want the gospel. Are you here for cross country? Yes, sir. I had one girl show up and she's got asthma. Oh, you mean Hannah Scott. Do you enjoy running? It's really the only thing I'm good at. Why have a season with one runner? One runner matters. The movie centers in on Hannah. Hannah's a 15-year-old girl who 
um, is struggling. She's struggling with our identity. She has a sense of uh, feelings of abandonment and lack of significance. Um, she lives with her grandmother, not her parents. She's never lived with her parents. And as teenagers tend to struggle anyway, hers is compounded just by the difficulty of her life. She goes to a school uh, where there is a man there that is a coach, John Harrison, played by Alex Kendrick. And John is struggling with his identity because the entire community is suffering because of an economic downturn, lots of layoffs, people are losing their jobs, people are having to move out of the community. And his sense of significance and value has been tied up in his job, which is stripped away. And that's true for a lot of people. Their jobs are stripped away, and that's what where they drew their sense of value. And so you see a grown man struggling with his significance. So we've got all these people that are in their own way struggling to determine and to believe that they are enough and that they are valuable. And all their stories sort of swirl to, together. And kind of as a centerpiece to all of this chaos is Olivia Brooks. And that's the principle that I play. And she has the privilege to kind of help these characters, some of these characters, see the value of who God has made them to be, see that there is potential in them, see that even when circumstances are chaotic, that that does not mean your life has to be. That doesn't mean that you have to be disappointed and devastated just because your circumstances aren't going the way that you would prefer for them to be. That who you are in God can still anchor you even when there is chaos swirling around you. So you've got all these different kinds of characters and different dynamics in their in their in their uh, families and lives. But it all comes back to this one lesson. What do you describe to divine to find you? Who have you given that authority to? And in the end, it better be God because everything else is up one day and gone tomorrow. But what God says about you remains no matter what happens in this life. For the Kendrick brothers, just organically, the way the Lord told them, you know, kind of instructed them or prompted them to write this story was from the vantage point of an African-American family. They could hear Miss Clara praying with the passion of an African, an older African-American woman. And they said, so it's just the way the tone and the texture of the film lent itself to that. And so I told them how much I celebrated that. I celebrated the nuances of it. They, they were very humble about and tender about and asked questions about. Um, you know, I told them that it was important, for example, that my hair wasn't straight for my role, that my hair is allowed to be its unruly, textured, afroed self is important so that people can see that we can be who we are be Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, and also that as we are is enough to be depicted on screen. It's beautiful. I've just enjoyed the creative outlet of doing something different and yet the same in the sense that it's an opportunity to still share the love of Jesus just in a different way. To me, overcoming, the whole sense of it is that there's something that you have to overcome. That means everything isn't great. We are constantly praying for the good life. We want pain to dissipate. We want disappointment to be no more. As soon as we get the diagnosis, our first prayer is for healing. Our first prayer is for everything to go back to the good. It's not that we can't pray for those things because he says, listen, God says boldly, come, come, make your request known. So I'm so grateful for a God who lets us make our requests known. But our perspective should first be at the sign of difficulty. Lord, help me to be an overcomer. Lord, show me what it means to have a faith that is strengthened and to have an opportunity to give you glory while I suffer. 
And then I can pray for healing. I can pray for change. I can pray, Lord, that you would make this circumstance turn around. Yes, he can do that and he will do that. But also, Lord, will you find me faithful while I struggle? That's what overcoming is. It's having a peace that literally passes your understanding. Like you literally don't understand how you have peace in the midst of the storm that you are suffering and struggling through. You don't get why you have joy. And we've met people like that. You know, people that they've got stuff going on in their life and you know what's going on, but somehow they're steady and they're strong and they're still smiling and they're still giving to other people and they're concerned about others. What kind of person is that? That right there is an overcomer. To find out where you can see Overcomer at a theater near you, check your local listings. Stay tuned for our interview with Jeremy Ray Taylor and his mom, Tracy, after a brief message about the Jesus Calling weekly prayer call. Did you know that Sarah Young, the author of Jesus Calling, prays for her readers each day? In that spirit, we want to extend the Jesus Calling prayer community out to you in a more personal way. Each Tuesday morning, you can dial into the Jesus Calling weekly prayer call, where the team from Jesus Calling and special guests will minister to us during a 10-minute call to reflect on that day's passage from Jesus Calling, read scripture references, and pray together for each other and our world. Prayer call times are 8 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Central, 6 a.m. Mountain, and 5 a.m. Pacific, and are for U.S. only. For more information on the Jesus Calling weekly prayer call or to submit prayer requests, please visit jesuscalling.com slash prayer dash call. Again, to join us in this community of prayer every Tuesday morning, please visit jesuscalling.com slash prayer dash call. Sometimes God opens doors you never expect, even when you're a kid on a farm in East Tennessee. That's what happened for Jeremy Ray Taylor when he was discovered as an actor and landed his first role when he was only eight years old. Acting started as a fun project and has since blossomed into a lifelong passion for Jeremy as he spreads God's love on the world stage. Today, he and his mom, Tracy, talk about his journey from farm to film set and how they're navigating the unfamiliar territory of Hollywood and fame while staying close to God. My name is Jeremy Ray Taylor. I am 15 years old. I am the youngest of six, which is a lot of siblings. Um, I grew up here in Bluff City, Tennessee, and I live on a farm. And you are what? Why are we here? I am an actor. <laughs> Forgot that part. <laughs> I'm Tracy Taylor, and I am the momager and mom to Jeremy Ray Taylor. Well, I mean, when I was little, I always would do anything for a laugh, like anything. Yeah, I think as a mom, you, you try to look for your kid's passion um, or what their gift is when they're young. And so you watch them and try to figure out, you know, are they gifted with piano? Are they going to be a sportsman? You know, how is that going to all gel? And he definitely was the entertainer of the family. Um, always, like he said, always trying to get a laugh, always being silly. When we go to a restaurant, he performed for people. You know, he just was all over the place. As a mom, it never really entered my mind that the entertainment industry would be the way for him to go, although that seems ridiculously silly now. Um, so in the way that I knew how, we put him in piano lessons and vocal lessons and uh, church plays and things like that just to try to tap into those into that outlet, but not really knowing, you know, how to go about that. Because I don't think as a mom you sometimes really know how to, you know, it's like, okay, I have to facilitate this the best way I know how. And for us it was piano and vocal and then, you know, and plays. And so we started there. 
but I never, I never really realized that I was ever gonna be an actor. That was never on the plate for us, ever. I mean, Life on a Farm definitely has prepared me for, for acting. It definitely built me a work ethic, I'd, I'd say. My mom here manages a band, and we, we were going to Nashville to, to promote them. We were working with them for a little bit, and the person that they were working with kept noticing how I was very different and how I would always do anything for a laugh. Um, so they, she kind of noticed that and told us, like, you need to do this acting thing. And we were like, no. Like, we don't want to do that. Like, that, it was never on the table. It was never, there was never a thought in our mind that I'd ever become an actor because it was so different from what we knew. We're, we live in a small town in Tennessee. So, yeah, she, she sent us in an agency and we finally were like, okay, we'll do it. And she picked me up instantly and it was hard at first. We didn't know, we didn't know how to tape. We didn't know how to audition. I didn't know how to do these things. We were freaking out. It was a lot to take in but I finally got my first role and we were like, I think this is what we want to do. So I was eight years old, I was filming on this set and it was a little intimidating because there's so many people and there's cameras everywhere. So it was scary, but it was fun and I actually didn't recognize Harrison Ford at the start. I just, like, everybody started getting like quiet and everybody was like, took it really seriously all of a sudden and I was like, what does that mean? And everybody's like, Harry's here. And I'm like, who's Harry? <laughs> and I see him like, I see him walk in and he's wearing a fat suit and he has prosthetics on, so he's very different. And all I knew him from was Han Solo. So it was, I didn't recognize him at the start. Yeah. Yeah, and then I recognized him and I was like, oh gosh, this is Harrison Ford. And he's just a normal guy too. Like it's, it's, that was one crazy thing is that I realized that everybody's just normal. All these people are just normal. I'm just a normal kid from a farm, but I film movies and, and people think like I'm this like crazy kid, but like I'm, I'm, just, I'm just a normal kid. So that was very, crazy to figure out that everybody's just a normal person. When we started down the acting path, it was a little intimidating and it was, um, it was scary because you're going into a place where some people are so different from us and they believe so differently than we do. Um, but what we found, even though it's been scary along the way, is that we just love people. One of my favorite part about acting is meeting everybody because, like she said, we love people. So being able to meet people like Harrison Ford and Paul Rudd and just like Hugh Jackman and Emma Watson, like it's, it's crazy to be able to meet all of those people and them also know who you are. That was like the big thing. It's like the, the more we're around people, um, the more we love it and the more um, we're just able to love on people. I think for us, staying connected to God is just taking time every day. And it's just a, a trying to keep that focus, to keep that the center of what you do and, and where you are. I find um, at night is when I find peace and, then, and, and quiet time in my world to be able to do that. Um, and, you know, we do start the day off with prayer and then spending time in devotional um, each day just to, to center yourself. I liked Jesus Calling a lot because it was so simple for me. It's like, wow, God put that in front of me for a reason. It's little and it still packs a lot of punch with information. So I think I love how simple it is. And sometimes we have to remind each other. I'm not perfect. I miss days. There, you know, time goes by and you think I have not, I haven't spoken to God today. And, or I'm like, buddy, you need to pray. Because, you know, it's an attitude check. And he does the same to me. Yeah, it's just a, it's a daily reminder. Um, from God um, 
about things you know that could pertain to your day. And what's amazing is that sometimes you can open it. I don't always read the day I'm supposed to read. Sometimes I do the open and see what's in front of me. Um, that you can um, open it and it and it just be exactly what you need uh, when you need it. Jesus calling breaks it down and gives you simple bite-sized chunks that you can read and really see the hand of God in it. I think um, in the Jesus Calling, one of my favorites was um, the passage from April 22nd. It says, Listen to me continually. I have much to communicate to you, so many people and situations in need of prayer. I am training you to set your mind on me more and more, tuning out distractions through the help of my spirit. Walk with me in holy trust, responding to my initiatives rather than trying to make things fit your plans. I died to set you free, and that includes freedom from compulsive planning. When your mind spins with a multitude of thoughts, you can't hear my voice. A mind preoccupied with planning pays homage to the idol of control. Turn from this idolatry back to me. Listen to me and live abundantly. Listening continually is, is a big part of it, and him opening doors for us is, is great, and he closes door for us, and it's, it's scary for me because I, I can see the big picture, and I want to break through the doors that he's closing because I just want to keep going, but I, I just have to look back and, and listen to him because that's what he, he knows what's best for me, and he knows what he needs to give me, so trying to not bust through those doors that he's closing for us is, is difficult for me. This whole journey has been a whirlwind. It's, it's very important to us to make sure he stays grounded. And so it's kind of convenient that we have a farm because we're able to, to come home and do normal, very, very normal farm things, activities on the farm, um, cleaning chicken coops, running cattle, uh, you know, taking care of the gardens, and, and so we're very fortunate that we have that life to come back to. Um, it, is, it is crazy when you're on the red carpet one day, and then two days later I'm driving a tractor bailing hay with my baseball cap and my cowboy boots. Um, it is, it's crazy. We wanted them to grow up in faith and understand that there was a God who loved them and was more powerful than anything that they could imagine and was always going to hold them in the palm of his hand. When you take a step back and look at it, God is love. That's really what he is. And he, he wants you to spread the word of him because he wants everybody to know that he loves everyone. Because he, he does. He loves everyone. To learn more about Jeremy, you can follow him on your favorite social media platforms at Jeremy Ray Taylor. If you'd like to hear more stories about believers showing their faith in the spotlight, check out our interview with country singer Josh Turner and NASCAR driver Michael McDowell. Next time on the Jesus Calling Podcast, we speak with NFL Hall of Fame quarterback Kurt Warner. Kurt's dream of playing in the NFL didn't come as soon as he expected, and a series of twists and turns left him wondering if he would ever achieve his goals. When he finally did see his dream come to light, he was able to look back and see how God was preparing him not only athletically, but spiritually as well. You know, I was fortunate to have a lot of success in the game, uh, but the biggest part of things is how many people can associate with my story and the fact that life doesn't always play out as you want it to. And sometimes there's struggles and perseverance that you have to have along the way to ultimately accomplish your goal. So. Um, through all those ups and downs, uh, finally got uh, that second chance in the league and, and was fortunate to, uh, to turn it into a pretty good career and uh, finishing up just a couple years ago by uh, being selected into the Hall of Fame. 
Do you love hearing these stories of faith weekly from people like you whose lives have been changed by a closer walk with God? Then be sure to subscribe to the Jesus Calling Stories of Faith podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you like what you're hearing, leave us a review so that we can reach others with these inspirational stories. And you can also see these interviews on video as part of our original web series, with a new interview premiering every other Sunday on Facebook Live. Find previously broadcast interviews on our YouTube channel on IGTV or on JesusCalling.com slash video.